Hey friends, Abby here. Just wanted to let you all know that we recorded this episode on March 9th. So that was right before everything hit the fan with the coronavirus. As a result, you will hear us talk about things that are not even a possibility for how we live our lives now in life lately and in the main part of the episode. We wanted to go ahead and release it because we thought that you all might enjoy this conversation and we would love to hear what you think about how you make decisions. On to the show. You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today we're going to talk about how we make decisions, but first, let's catch up on life lately. What's new with you, Sarah? I want to talk about how much I've been enjoying working out this winter. It has been incredibly gray. Not today. This last weekend was actually beautiful here, and I'm hoping that there will be more of that to come. Mm -hmm. But it has been a hard winter weather-wise. And I've recently joined a new gym. As listeners may remember from past episodes, I feel like you and I both talked about how we'd kind of moved away from feeling like we needed this really hard structured workout and Mm -hmm. were more interested in incorporating movement into our everyday life. And I still feel the value of the non-structured workout, but going in has felt so good for my mental health. It's made me feel really strong and like I have this agency over my body after a year of feeling like so much about my body was out of my control. Mm -hmm. I do not mean that in terms of having control over my weight or what my body physically looks like, but feeling so strong in what my body is able to do. Mm. And that part of it has been a challenge being back in the fitness industry is the gym culture has a long way to go to truly being body positive. Yes. And in many cases, I don't even think that's on their radar of something to try and achieve. Right. And so much of the messaging is around losing weight and is around how our bodies look. So that has felt like this cognitive dissonance for me of being there that I feel strong and powerful and have loved it, but then also having to tune out the constant messaging from the fitness industry about what a good body is. Yeah. What's new with you? I want to share about a family hike we did. We have also had a truly wet and rainy year so far. And I thought that it was just that that was how Birmingham was. But Andrew looked the other day Mm -hmm. and it turns out we have more than doubled the expected rainfall so far this year. Wow. It's been rainy all the time, but this weekend was beautiful. So we got out. We did a family hike. We haven't tried this in a while. And I was not sure how it would go with Plum. Mm -hmm. For a long time, she rode in a carrier that we wore, but she's really big for that now. And so we had her hiking and we told her we were going to go in nature and she loved it. It was so fun. She was scrambling up rocks. She was so capable and strong in her body. I don't know if there's a developmental thing that happens around four and she's hit it or what, but she was so proud of herself. She was all about throwing rocks in the creek. Such a delight to be out all together. I love it. Now let's talk about what we've been reading. What's your latest read, friend? I recently finished Good Girls Lie by J.T. Ellison. So I found this book on the Modern Mrs. Darcy preview of Spring Books. Mm. And I must not have read the description that closely. I'm not sure. I put it on hold. It came in and I started reading it. 
Turns out it's a thriller, which is not my <laughs> usual genre. Whoops. In fact, I mostly try to avoid that because I hate being scared. But I read it. And once I was a ways in, it's one of those things where I feel like I need to finish it to know how it all works out. Yes. Because otherwise, that's worse in my mind. To have the closure. Yes. So be warned, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> the protagonist is Ash Carlisle. And we meet her as she is arriving at the good school for her sophomore year, which is an elite prep boarding school in Virginia. And she's from the UK. The other thing we know is that both of her parents died over the summer, but we don't know a lot about the circumstances around that. I liked the setting of being in the prep boarding school. Mm -hmm. And it was an all-girls school, so the dynamics and the social atmosphere there was really fascinating. Totally. I found it to be incredibly gripping, as thrillers are. <laughs> it had lots of twists that I wasn't expecting, but it wasn't overly scary. Well, that's good. It did get to the point where I had to stay up late to finish it because I couldn't go to sleep, mm. but it was not as scary as The Girl on the Train, for example, mm. which is another one that I've read not knowing what I was getting into. <laughs> One thing I really did not like was that parts of it felt gratuitously gruesome, mm. that the generality was enough, and there were some things that felt a little bit over the top to me. And those are the parts that are going to stick with me in my brain, and I wish they had not been there. Right, row. <laughs> I would recommend it if you like thrillers. I generally don't, and I really did enjoy the reading experience, other than feeling somewhat frightened. <laughs> But if that's something you like, then I would say give it a go. What have you been reading? I recently listened to Over the Top, A Raw Journey to Self-Love by Jonathan Van Ness. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Van Ness is the personal grooming and hair specialist on the new Queer Eye that's on Netflix, which Andrew and I love. So we really love him. Plus, he endorsed Elizabeth Warren, which just made me love him even more. Yes. This is his memoir about growing up in small town Illinois. So it starts when he's really little and then takes him to present day. He shares a lot of hard things, and I really appreciated how honest he is. I love how all the things he talks about contribute to him being kind of the beacon of self-love that he is today. Mm. It was definitely not easy to read. There is child sexual abuse in there. There's drug use. Just a lot of hard things in his life, but I just really appreciated him, and I really appreciated how he told it. I really loved hearing about the casting of Queer Eye, since we love that show. Mm. And him reading the audiobook, you're going to hear it in his voice anyway because of how he writes, mm -hmm. but having him be the reader was just awesome. I would definitely recommend this one to anyone who loves JVN or wants to know more. You will love him more after you read this book. Let's move on to our topic for today, how we make decisions. Let's start first by talking about whether making decisions is easy for you or not, and whether it's always been that way. I would say that it's gotten easier over time. When I was younger, I think I knew what I wanted in many cases, but I had a harder time acting on that because I think I was more in my head about what other people would think and how it would be perceived, you know, typical teenage things. Totally. And then... Also, not having the perspective that things don't have to be forever. Mm. Now I recognize that many decisions are not permanent and that I can change course if I need to. Yeah. And I don't think I really got that when I was younger. I think I agonized much more than was called for. Hmm. And I think that's because at that age, just everything feels monumental. And now I realize that most things really aren't. How about for you? 
I think it's pretty easy for me to make decisions when there's a choice I feel good about. Mm. I don't waffle unless I don't like my options. And then I basically refuse to make a decision. Like it feels impossible Hmm. until I can find something that I know will work. I think I've gotten even more independent when making decisions than I was as a kid for the same sort of reasons you're talking about. And I know that I had that social pressure kind of thing. But as we'll talk about a little bit later, I think how I make decisions, the social pressure comes into it for me less. I think for me, it wasn't so much that I was swayed by other people, Mm. but I think it made me delay in taking action. Interesting. That I knew what I wanted to do and I would do it regardless, but... I had a harder time pulling the trigger Hmm. because of all the other noise. But it didn't make me change what I thought because I think I've always had a pretty clear sense of what I want to do. There was just more angst. (laughs) (laughs) I feel that. So in preparation for this episode, we both took a quiz about our decision-making styles. So we're going to talk about those results and then talk a little bit more about our general philosophies around making decisions. So the quiz told me that I am a spontaneous external decision maker. The external part of that really resonated with me. It talks about that I like to think about decisions out loud, can argue all sides of an issue, need to talk to others before making a decision, talk, and then think. (laughs) And that is very accurate. I don't know if I hadn't read through this and taken this quiz that I would have framed my decision making in exactly that way. Because when I hear external, I hear seeking input from other people. Right. And that is not it. It's more I'm taking all of my things inside my brain and pushing it out. Mm. And that helps me process that talking out loud helps me clarify in my own mind what I'm thinking about and what the pros and cons are. And hearing other people's opinions does the same thing for me. It helps me clarify my own view, Mm. but it doesn't move the needle in terms of where I end up. And because I like to do this so much, I need multiple outlets. (laughs) I am often discussing the same thing and having the same conversation with multiple people so Mm -hmm. I don't wear out the people that I love on hearing the same thing. Mm. That is something I have learned (laughs) to be valuable in my marriage is to have many outlets for the discussion. And the spontaneous part I think is accurate, but it didn't really speak to me in the same way the external part did. I consider myself somebody who mulls over the possibilities for weeks, though that's really only when it's a fun choice, (laughs) where it's fun to be in the possibility. And then I make what might appear to be a snap decision to people around me. But Mm. I like thinking through all the different things that that feels like a fun part of the decision making, Mm. that whole process. What did the quiz reveal about you? It revealed that I am a spontaneous and internal decision maker. Mm -hmm. The description really resonated with me. It says that I make decisions based on what feels right, make decisions quickly, and analyze decisions myself to get clear on what I want before I talk to other people. But listening to you talk about the way in which you are external, I think I do that Mm -hmm. to a certain extent too. And we're going to talk in the next question about our spouses. (laughs) Andrew had a lot of opinions about how I make decisions. And I think (laughs) I may be more external in some cases and more internal in other cases, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting. So basically, once I have decided something, I believe and trust that I'm making the best decision for the situation. I don't usually change my mind or second guess myself much. I do like to talk about my decisions, especially big life ones with close friends and family. 
But usually after I already know what I want to do, Mm -hmm. I want to process an internal decision that I've already made and get clearer and more solid on that. I feel similarly. I am looking for validation. (laughs) Yes, 100%. So how does this jive with that of your spouse? Neil has not taken the quiz, but I don't think he needs to because I am very confident that he is a systematic internal decision maker, the exact opposite of what I am. (laughs) He is incredibly methodical in his thinking. He doesn't like to turn over the possibilities endlessly, specifically out loud. (laughs) He likes to take time to think about it, come to a conclusion, and then discuss where I want to be part of the whole process. Mm. This is definitely something we've had to work on in our marriage of just recognizing that I need to talk and he doesn't to get to the same place that he needs space, which means, as I said, that I've ended up doing a lot of that processing with my mom and friends and him as well. But I've learned not to overburden him with the repetitive nature of my own process. Mm. It has also meant that there's been multiple times in our marriage where I will come and say, hey, I think we should be doing X. And he feels like he has whiplash because the last time we talked about it a week ago, I might have been thinking the exact opposite or it feels like it comes out of nowhere where I've had all these conversations and been mulling it over and thinking it through. And I've learned to give him the time and space that he needs so that we can then have the conversation about it. Because to me, it's like, well, I'm ready to go. I've already thought about this. And because he hasn't and doesn't want to do that out loud for hours, don't know why. It's really great. (laughs) So great. (laughs) So on my end, I've just learned to not be frustrated by that and to give him the space that he needs rather than thinking, why doesn't he see how great my idea is and how much thought I've put into it? (laughs) Well, it's because a lot of that was happening outside of our conversations. Yeah. What about you and Andrew? I asked Andrew about this, and he said that, one, he makes quicker decisions than I do, Hmm. and that he doesn't value groupthink and processing about decisions as much as I do. And that's the piece that made me second-guess my quiz result a little bit, Uh that maybe I am more of an external processor, Mm -hmm. but I do think I still make the decisions on my own. I don't think you value groupthink. I don't think I do either. I think you might be more of an external processor than you think you are. But I don't think that's about groupthink. Yeah, that definitely resonates the external processing. But I think most of the time when I'm processing, I am looking for validation, Mm -hmm. like trying to get him on my side, so to speak. Yes. And so maybe he thinks he has more of a say in the decision than he actually does (laughs) because I've already decided it. Uh Uh-huh. I wouldn't have said I was an external decision maker before this podcast recording, but like you said, I love the processing part of it. Mm -hmm. And I also think that I really strive to invite him into decision making about our family and our kids especially. And because I'm the primary parent, I tend to be making most of the kid-related decisions, Mm -hmm. but want him to feel involved. And so honestly... After talking to him about it, we might be making some changes, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's a problem. I just think it's a difference that we have. Agree. I think it's just taken a while for both of us to recognize it's not that one person needs to change. It's just how can we see what they need and make sure they're getting that as they go through the decision-making process. Mm -hmm. Let's talk specifics now. Can you talk about a big decision that you agonized over? Mm -hmm. I can think of several. (laughs) (laughs) The big one that comes to mind is deciding where I was going to go to college. Mm. I really wanted to go to Hendricks and felt this strong connection when I was there and just 
wanted to be part of the community that I saw there, but it felt very selfish to me because the scholarship package I had there versus at a state school were not comparable. Yeah. And so it felt hard to make that choice to the point where I don't think I turned in my acceptance letter until maybe the day after it was due. Mm. Best case scenario would be the day it was due. (laughs) And I remember writing out little slips of paper with the two schools on it and like drawing them out of a hat situation and Uh then trying to see if I felt disappointed if I got one versus the other or excited, like using that as a metric to try and help me connect to what I was really feeling. Yeah. Did that work? It did. It did. I mean, I remember drawing Hendrix and being relieved and then having that sense of like, oh, okay, that really is what I want to do. Interesting. And it's also interesting looking back. I don't know that I would make that same choice. Mm. And I loved Hendrix. That's where I met you. That's where I met Neil. I had a wonderful four years there. But I think now I can look back and say I would have had a wonderful four years at the state school too. And it would have been different, but it would have also been wonderful. And I would have met people there that I couldn't imagine not having in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think I can see it so much more clearly as two good choices. And it felt so important to get it right at that moment in high school. Mm. It feels less important to me looking back because I know either choice was a good choice. My most recent agonized decision was where to send Plum for preschool in Birmingham. This was one where I didn't like any of the schools we visited. I think we visited maybe seven. Mm. And so I didn't feel like I could make the decision. And it didn't just feel like deciding for her for the next year and a half. Yeah. It felt like also deciding for Pepper because I'm not going to put them in different places or like restart this really challenging process. So it felt really hard and every choice felt bad, honestly. So I really agonized and we did a lot of visits and a lot of visits to Birmingham even before we lived here to try and solve this problem. Yeah. It just felt demoralizing and like I wasn't ever going to find it in. Was I going to have to parent my kid all the time without preschool? (laughs) I considered starting a preschool for a while and then got really real with myself about what it would be like to not ever have a break from my kids. And so we just kept visiting schools. And the last one we visited was one that finally felt right and felt good. I have been so validated in the decision. She has enjoyed it and we have felt really welcomed there as a family. But wow, it was really hard. It feels exceptionally hard, those kind of decisions where it's not just impacting you, it's impacting everyone. So there's this weight to the choice of being responsible for all of that. So true. So can you share about a choice that was easy? I don't know if easy is the right word or maybe that we made the decision surprisingly quickly. Mm. For us, but when we were living in Austin and I was pregnant with E, we had batted around the idea of renting out our house or selling it and moving to a rental that was closer in that would be more walkable and talked about it fairly theoretically. And then I saw a place up for rent that seemed great. We went and looked at it and the next day we had a signed lease. (laughs) That's awesome. Through that process, I just remember feeling so much love for Neil because I know that's not how he makes decisions. And I also knew it wasn't his preference that if it were just him, he wouldn't have upended his life in that way. Mm -hmm. But that he knew how much happier and easier my life would be with having two young kids and being able to get where we needed to go easily. Mm -hmm. And I remember him saying, sure, let's do it. We haven't had an adventure in a while. He usually takes more time to think things through. And I felt so much 
love from him in that he could just see what I needed and was willing to do this big thing in a kind of snap decision sort of way. One time where he was a spontaneous decision maker Mm -hmm. to meet you where you are. Exactly. I was thinking about choices that have been easy for me and the decisions that I make on a daily basis about buying stuff feel so easy. (laughs) I never agonize over those. Mm -hmm. Our compost situation wasn't working. We used to keep compost in the freezer, but now we have a drawer freezer. Oh, yeah. So I was like, I think we need a bucket for compost. And when I visited your house, I noticed that you had one. And so then I Mm -hmm. just went and bought that same one. (laughs) (laughs) Not hard at all. No research required. (laughs) I am coming around to that way of being. Mm Mm-hmm. But for most of my life, I would say buying small things has been incredibly agonizing to an embarrassing (laughs) degree. But you are rubbing off on me, and I'm getting better at it. (laughs) Great. All right, let's talk about a choice that was kind of in the middle. The one that came to mind for me was making a choice about what surgery to have after I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And in some ways, it felt really clear from the beginning that I knew which direction I was going to go. But... Those couple of weeks where I was deciding, I left you many a Vox message Mm -hmm. outlining the different arguments, pro and con. And that was a time where I really recognized here's what the conventional wisdom is and here is how I am feeling differently from that Mm. and needing to get really honest with myself about what I was valuing and why. Mm. It was also a case where I did seek out some opinions from people that I love and trust. And it wasn't hard for me to make a different choice when people's views didn't align, even people that I really love. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the external part that helps me is hearing what other people think. I can say, yes, that, or "Mm, no, that doesn't fit. It's that back and forth that lets me have that intuition moment the same way I did when I'm drawing a name out of a hat to make Mm. a decision Mm -hmm. of hearing something and either knowing, yes, that resonates or no, it doesn't. Interesting. But I think it's also an example of once I make a decision, I rarely have regrets. Mm. Once I make it, I feel great about it and moving forward and don't see any point in wondering what if. I feel like we might need to add a category onto our decision-making type that's about the regret versus not piece of it, Mm -hmm. because it sounds like both you and I don't have that, but I know that's something that plenty of people feel. And what makes it hard to make a decision, because you worry about regretting it in the future. Absolutely. What was one of those in-between decisions for you? Getting our new-to-us car was like that. Hmm. I did a ton of research talking with Andrew, that external piece again. Talked to you about, should we not get a car and should I just buy the electric Madsen? Mm -hmm. Emailed the electric Madsen people to see if anyone in Birmingham had ever bought an electric Madsen. And could I talk to them about how it would really be to ride this giant bike on Birmingham Hills in this very car-centric culture? We initially thought we were going to get a newer, more expensive car and we're going to spend a lot more of our savings on it. And then Andrew and I both weren't feeling great about that. So then we talked more. And then we finally came to this decision. And that part of it felt really quick because once we had decided we want an older car, we want this type of car, we found it, we drove to get it, and there it was. So it was sort of like there was a long lead up. Mm-hmm. And then the decision was made and we did the thing. Which seems very typical for both of us. Yeah. And I like that research stuff. That's the other thing that feels internal is that I'm doing so much research on my own. I mean, would you count reading reviews as external? 
I don't know. I hate that. (laughs) I feel like I'm on this journey of self-discovery about how I make decisions, all thanks to this podcast. (laughs) Talking about doing external, I don't like researching. I only like if it's really fun. I don't like getting into the nitty gritty. It feels like a waste of my time. So would you call that external if you're reading external stuff? I don't know. Or would you call it internal because you're doing it yourself? Maybe the internal because it's like just you and the information that you're going through. So maybe in that sense, I am. Maybe I'm on the cusp, internal slash external. The quiz did not have enough detail for me to make <laughs> make these kinds of determinations about myself. I might need more info. <laughs> but it's a really interesting way just to think about decision making. I never would have framed it in exactly that way. So mm-hmm. I feel like it was insightful. Thanks, quiz. <laughs> and listeners, we will link to it so that you can also take this quiz and report back. Let's finish this conversation by talking about whether your decision-making style is working for you. I think it's working great for me. I'm not sure what Neil would say about how my decision-making style is working for him, (laughs) but I really love living in the possibilities. For example, I like to randomly look up jobs all across the country and world and imagine a life for us someplace different. Nice. It makes me feel like the world is so open to us and that Mm. we're not trapped. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not even that we're unhappy with where we are. We're really happy with where we are. But I think that dwelling in the possibility makes me feel really optimistic and like we have choices and that brings me a lot of joy. A couple of things that I haven't mentioned yet, like tools that I like to use to make Mm. a decision. Mm -hmm. I used to really use a pro-con list. Interesting. For example, I made a pro-con list when deciding whether or not to ask out Neil when we were in college. (gasps) I remember. I think I've seen that list. Yes, I still have it. And one of the things that helps me make decisions is thinking, what is the worst thing that could happen if I do X? Mm. And I remember that was something that actually gave me the courage to ask out Neil then, Mm. was just Mm -hmm. thinking, what is the absolute worst case scenario? And I was like, he is an upstanding, kind person. He is not going to be weird around me. He's not going to make it weird to play ultimate. Mm. He's going to be mature. He's not going to gossip about me. Yeah. We're just going to both move on. And it was like, oh, okay, well, that doesn't seem so bad. I should just ask him out (laughs) because the best case scenario is much better than that. And while I no longer make literal pro-con lists, I do often think, what is the worst thing that could happen? Mm. And then that gives me that perspective that I didn't have when I was younger and that ability to see the bigger picture and not get so bogged down in one choice. So good. Overall, I feel good about how I go about making decisions, even if the process is a little bit unwieldy. I enjoy that aspect of it. It doesn't feel like a (laughs) negative. And I rarely look back and regret the choices that I've made that I feel pretty confident about them. And maybe I need to make a different decision in the future, but I don't feel bad about what I've done in the past. Nice. Where are you on how you feel about decision making? Like, maybe I don't really know how I make decisions, (laughs) especially after this episode, but I feel good about it regardless. (laughs) Love it. I like to think about things and research them to death. I like to decide. I like to process with loved ones after the fact. Mm -hmm. Sounds like my spouse might prefer if I just made more decisions and tell him after. So I think I'm going to try that for a while. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But maybe I'll miss the processing. So maybe you'll hear from me a lot more. (laughs) Looking forward to it. Or maybe Andrew will start to feel left out and realize how good he has had it. (laughs) (laughs) We shall see. Indeed. Listeners, we would love to hear from you on this. Take the quiz. Let us know how your decision-making style is working for you. Tell us if you have any tools that will help us make decisions better. 
We want to know all about it. Let's finish by talking about what we have been eating. We thought it would be great to do a little debriefing over my birthday weekend extravaganza and all of the delicious food that we had. Yes. I will say that when I posted about your birthday weekend on Instagram, I asked people to guess what we ate. Mm -hmm. And there were some really good guesses, but nobody got everything. (laughs) Well, that's because there was so much. So here it comes. (laughs) And I think most of the things we've probably talked about on the podcast, I'll share one that was new to me that I think you talked about a long time ago, which was Kringle. You brought a pecan Kringle, which was a pastry situation you can get at Trader Joe's. And... It was delicious and wonderful, and I had never experienced it. And pecan kringle is my favorite, and it only comes once a year. So they have various other kringles sort of seasonally throughout the calendar year. Mm -hmm. But it was pecan kringle time for your birthday, which was perfect. I also brought the chips that I talked about during our snacking episode, the voodoo chips from Zaps, because I recommended them to you as a salty sweet chip. Mm -hmm. And your verdict was that they were too vinegary. Yes, that is my verdict. Not enough sweet a little too much sour. But they are still excellent with the French onion dip, which is another favorite that we also ate. <laughs> oh, I have not tried them with the French onion dip. I think it cools down the vinegar aspect of it a little bit. Mm, that's perfect. I'm so set on the salt and pepper chips and French onion mm. dip, which we also mm-hmm. had. <laughs> yep, sure did. <laughs> that it's hard for me to deviate from that, but I am intrigued by the voodoo chip and Dean's dip possibility. Mm-hmm. Breakfast the next morning included homemade cinnamon rolls and two homemade quiches. Excellent. Thank you, friends, who baked those. They were delicious. We also had a really lovely cheese platter that included fromage d'affinois, which is your favorite. Mm-hmm. And then some other ones that I hadn't tried, including a camembert gorgonzola mashup cheese. Mm-hmm. That was excellent. So it was soft, blue cheesy, but not so blue cheesy. Sometimes blue cheese wears me out because it is kind of intense. Mm-hmm. But the sort of more buttery taste of the camembert yes. and the gorgonzola together was excellent. I love how it's not as crumbly. Like it feels much smoother. Yes. Abby, you made me Chex Mix which is one of my favorite things ever. You texted me to ask for the recipe and I sent it to you. Unbeknownst to me, you were making it for me. I was very sneaky in that way, but I was so sneaky that I did not know that you prefer it just with checks. It's true. And not nuts or pretzels. So I put the nuts and pretzels in, Mm -hmm. but next time I'll just do the checks. Yep. Easier, cheaper, and more delicious. (laughs) I also, of course, made the soft chocolate chip cookies. I will say that I made two batches, one to leave at home and one to bring. The first batch I burnt or almost burnt, Mm -hmm. but actually they were still edible and my people ate them. They were gone when I got home or maybe they threw them away, but I kind of doubt that. I think they still ate them. So they weren't completely burnt. They were just really overdone. So this recipe is actually pretty flexible. Even if you forget about them, they're still edible. My mom loves a crunchy chocolate chip cookie. She always preferred the overdone cookies when we were growing up versus Mm. the soft kind. It's so interesting. She would have been happy to partake in that batch. I'll just end by saying that there was so much food, we did not eat it all, and I have still been snacking on many delicious things that were left here for me over the last week. Yum. Thanks, friends. Thanks for being born. 
That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. If you want to join in the conversation, you can find us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or you can email us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. In case I didn't say that already. <laughs> Are we going to keep going? We no, that's so good. Much. There's that's so good. much. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything that else that we need. What have you been reading? <laughs> not <I> re- that. <laughs> no, I will not be adding this one to my list. Thanks for screening it for me first. <laughs> You're welcome.